Welcome to the American Society of Pediatric Hematology Oncology podcast, known as the ASPOcast. This six-part series, The Road to Clinician Well-Being, will focus on various issues related to clinician wellness. Good afternoon to the ASFO community around the nation and around the world. Today's ASFOcast is a next installment on perspectives on physician wellness. And today I am so pleased to have with me Anouk Dublique, who is currently living in Torino, Italy, and has held many key human resource roles with several very well-known global organizations such as Citibank, Visa, Australia and New Zealand Bank, and is currently serving as the Chief People Officer at SoftServe, Inc. Welcome, Anouk. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Deborah. Thanks uh, for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So am I, very much so. You've been working in corporate wellness for quite some time. What do you think makes a corporate wellness program truly successful? First of all, what I, I just wanted to mention to everyone listening um, is is to start with, right? I think the the the, the respect and 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 uh, I would say the 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 inspiration that I think a lot of you bring every day, because eventually when you work in corporate, you're dealing with lots of amazing people and lots of challenging problems, and we are impacting people's lives, but not like the audience is doing every day. And I think it's amazing that that's happening and that you do that. So I wanted to just pay my respects, but at the same time also say thank you for making the world a better place and helping people as such. And and so I hope today to share some insights, right, around what we're doing in corporate life. Although sometimes I was just wondering is the things we're dealing with is not always as impactful perhaps as as you would do on a day-to-day basis. But if you think about the corporate world has been challenged with overwhelmed employees for a while. I think what we're facing is people that are on the edge of burnout, that feel very much the challenge of dealing with change constantly. And over the last years, it's been one of the topics that has been there. And and often it's been a bit of a, a situation that people didn't always wanted to talk about because being overwhelmed or being burned out is not a good thing to do. So I think it's been sometimes a bit stigmatized in corporate world. And I think this is a challenge that organizations are facing. I think this year with COVID, I think it just accelerated. I think this whole notion about how do we help people in an environment that is where we're living and where people are feeling unsettled and how do we make sure that they can be at their best, even if the environment is challenging them. So I think what we're noticing in corporations that have been focusing on wellness, they've been doing it because I think they feel that if we really invest in people in in the full way, then happy people will produce better and will be more engaged. So I think on the one hand, there's been a bit of a business sense that this is the right thing to do. But at the same time, I think organizations also have changed this whole notion about care, right? And, And I think organizations that that really make a difference in the world and with employees and all of that are those that really show the care and show that you can create an organization where people are trusted as such and are cared for. But in addition to that, I think if you look at well-being or wellness, we also look at it not just at one dimension, because often people thought, oh, well-being or wellness, this is about 
meditation or this is about relaxation and all of that. But we look in the corporate world as well-being around a couple of lenses. There is obviously that mental well-being. There is, of course, the, the whole emotional well-being. And then there's also the physical well-being. And sometimes organizations even talk about the financial well-being. So I think organizations have looked at well-being more and more in that holistic manner, creating an environment where it is okay to kind of be yourself around these various lenses. And I think if you set it up well, then I think you create more engagement and more energy from people because they feel they can be themselves. So I think that the reason why corporations are focusing on it is because, first of all, it makes perfect sense. But at the same time, I think it's also a way to support your people to be their a better version of themselves. So I think organizations need to look at it in those ways. And that's what we've been doing in the organizations that I've been working with. So perhaps a long story <laughs> to set the tone, Deborah, but I wanted to just make sure people know where, where I'm coming from. No, that's fantastic. When you were talking about the physical versus the psychological, that was something that was popping into my head. And then you mentioned, you know, emotional and financial and some of these other areas. So do you think that a strong corporate wellness program always encompasses all of those things? Or do you think it's very specific to the organization and the individuals in it? And how do you really know what it is that's going to be successful for that group? I think it's about knowing your audience, right? And I think it's like always is, is understanding what's important for people and what's important in certain people's life stage or the environment they're on. And in certain organizations, what we see is that there's a big focus on mental well-being because it has been like a topic that hasn't been accepted earlier. And I think that that's why organizations are focused on it because they want to make it more transparent, more open, that it is okay not to be okay. And so I think we're seeing that. I think in other organizations where you're in the early stages and where well-being is still something which is not yet known, then sometimes the physical well-being is an easy way, right, to start creating awareness. But I, I do think that in some organizations that if you're dealing with a young workforce or you're sometimes dealing with a workforce that is going through some challenges, then the financial well-being and educating people about what's important for them is, is important. So I think it's about understanding your audience and see what makes sense. There's no one size fits all. I think it's giving a bit of a menu of what mm -hmm. is available, but showing people that you can look at it holistically. And I feel being holistic is important, but I, I think it depends of what the focus is. And I don't think you need to overwhelm people more, right? <laughs> By right. All together. So it's about, I think it's about the menu. It's making people choose a la carte, but making sure they know what's there for them, right? If they need it. Sure. And so then is it through survey instruments or focus groups? How are you determining what goes on the menu? Yeah. So it's a very great question. So I, I think there's various ways to do that, but we kind of use relatively a lot tools that are engagement uh, tools and we call it engagement surveys and mm -hmm. it's like a voice of the employee or there are various of those and we're doing it every quarter so I used to be an organization where they did it once a year 
clearly knowing the pulse once a year, it's a bit <laughs> outdated, right? So yeah. I think more and more organizations having frequent pulses, not just even quarters, but on, on a regular basis. And, and it's trying to find out what people are saying, what they want, what's important for them. So I think that's a great way to do. Secondly, is that I personally see also the demands coming through certain benefits. If people have certain benefits or going to a benefit provider and asking for certain certain things, we sometimes see that more and more people are asking for perhaps some more psychological support, which was something we didn't see before, which then gives us an indication that, guess what, there might be people that there's an appetite for, for that. Sometimes I think it's also for us looking at I'm not saying complaints, but sometimes employee challenges, you know, from a labor yeah. relations perspective, if we're seeing challenges coming in or some of the, the performance issues are, are coming to a certain point because there is a degree of burnout that comes in. So I think it's about using various tools to, to kind of understand, but at the same time, it's truly understanding face-to-face, knowing your people and we're teaching our leaders more and more to to kind of lean in towards their folks, even now with with COVID situation, even more than it was before, because you don't see people face-to-face all the time. You don't know how they're doing it, but to check in and to see if people are okay. So, So I think that by building those relationships, you can get certain clues on what's happening. And, and so I think there's various ways to go about it, but it's getting to know the people and see what's important for them and give them a choice, as I said before, yes. right, about what is available. Yeah. Are you seeing that more employees are actually open about psychological and emotional challenges because of COVID? Has it really brought that to the surface a bit more? Well, I think, first of all, for an employee to bring it up, I think they need, they need to feel safe. So I think organizations need to create a culture or an environment that has that psychological safety, right? Because if people don't feel it, they'll not raise it. And I think that leaders set the tone, right? If, if I want my team, if I want our people to speak up, if there is an issue or they have a concern, I need to make sure I show the care and I create that environment, which I think is is important. I think that if you think about the COVID situation, I think the fact that people have been working remote or have been under pressure in various ways, not just on a professional side, but personal side, right? You know, your family, your your family members, not sure what and how. I, I think people's safety have been impacted I think COVID has created, I think, a lot more, I'm not sure acceptance, but it's been a problem that a number of people have been facing with. So I think by the fact that we can talk about the fact that more people are challenged by the environment, it makes it a lot easier for someone to declare, yeah, I feel that way or not. But we still see that even COVID might make it a bit easier. I think it depends still about in what environment you are and who's the leader of that environment. And if the leader kind of shows that openness and that transparency and that vulnerability, then people will raise it, otherwise not. So I think it has become more, people can talk easier about it, but it doesn't mean that people will declare, I I have it. Certainly. It is a step towards, but I think that psychological safety cannot be underestimated. And and that's the role of the leader to create that. And, and so 
So I think that setting the right tone from the top, showing oneself the vulnerability, I have seen that it will open people up if they see their leader showing that they also are not okay. So then it's okay for me not to be okay if my leader is okay, right? So it's, it's, it's how it works, unfortunately. But I think it's getting better, but it's work in progress. So when you're within a corporation and you're working to roll out a corporate wellness program, are you then having those conversations with senior leaders that it is really important that they buy in and that they're messaging the right things? Yeah, it is, but it makes them really uncomfortable, right? (laughs) Because guess what? I think we've all been taught that if you are a leader, you need to be strong. Like when you're a leader, you need to be able to, to be Mr. or Mrs. Perfect, right? And, and, I think one of the things that we started to do, and it's also very cultural, right? Because when you're in Central and Eastern Europe, like we're dealing with a lot of the people now, it's a very different environment to show vulnerability than, than for example, when I was in, in Australia, where you know, being vulnerable is more okay. It's more expected and even respected, right? If, if you do it. So, so I think culturally it changes, but what we did in Australia to even encourage people to lean in more is that when we kicked off some wellness programs or programs around mental health or other things, we always had a leader opening it up with a story, right? And to make it really personal around why kind of this is important. And so I think that authentic way that showing that vulnerability again, shows that this is, this is possible. And that's what I'm trying to role model with my teams and other leaders are trying to role model. But for certain leaders, they try to role model, but it's very difficult, right? Because it's not them. And, and they haven't been wired that way. It's like you've been taught your whole life to do X, Y, Z, and then suddenly you're supposed to do something else. So, so I think it makes people feel uncomfortable, but it is a muscle that I think we need to build as leaders because it is the muscle that you build that kind of creates that psychological safety and that provides that openness and, and allows people to be, be safe. So we need to kind of be mindful that sometimes we need to be comfortable of being uncomfortable and, and that's okay, right? That's a great quote. We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and, yeah, and that, yeah, that seems yeah. very... Very relevant. So getting to our physician teams now, we're talking about wellness from a a number of different angles. Mm -hmm. And given what you know about corporate wellness and its effectiveness, what do you think medical teams can learn from successful corporate wellness programs? What would be a few things that you would say would be great learning outcomes for them? Well, it's, it's always very, very difficult, right? Because I think when you you do programs and you organize programs and, and, and you want to focus on a number of things, you start with awareness because I'm a strong believer that if you go too fast and you don't get get the basics right, then, then it's very difficult, right? So I think it's creating that sense of awareness. But what I sense a, a lot is that when even I think about the HR organization, which is an interesting one, because the HR organization is, is one of these organizations that is there to promote a lot of these programs and organize them. But often the HR organization doesn't always have time <laughs> to take care of themselves because they need to take care of everyone else. And so one of the things that I think it's sometimes 
my sense also the, the, the case with, with, I think, this audience is that if your profession is about taking care of others, you sometimes forget about yourself, right? And so it's about how do you give yourself the permission that you need to invest in yourself? And, and so I think that the, the key thing that, that I, I think organizations do is, is they, they set up the programs and, and I think we encourage people to participate, but eventually the biggest enemy always is time. And I can imagine for each of you on the phones listening, you might just wonder, I, I don't have time for that because I have X, Y, Z to do, which is a lot more mission critical. But I don't think we can take care of others if we don't take care of ourselves, right? So, mm -hmm. so I think it's this notion about making time. I think the fact that you're doing these series is, is a great uh, tribute, right? The fact of that you're making, well, I'm not sure if people are making time. They probably are making time, but you're doing this whole series of education awareness I think the question is what do you do with it right and, and how do you embrace it and how do you make the choice like okay I'm going to lean in or or not so I think it's it's about really building that muscle and making time for ourselves and and I think corporations do that very in, in a very structured way I think we're doing it in, in order to to not just have like one initiative but it's about recurring it's about embedding it in how you do your daily job. It's not like a one-off event. And, and I think that's probably how change happens, right? Is that you embed it in what you do, but it all starts with, with time. And I know that that is probably something each of you have difficulties with is finding the time, right? But I think it's so much worth it. I think that's why we put so much effort in it because it's a long-term game, right? What we're doing we're trying to, to make sure all of our people can be their best sustainable self. And, and that means investing time and energy and I think just embracing it. It cannot be a one-off. And then I think the other piece is also is around the power of the community, right? I think we also have in our organization so certain support groups that will come together to talk about certain topics to make sure that as you kind of go through all of this, you're, you're not alone, because I think peer coaching is extremely important. Peer support, you know, is, is extremely important. So, so I think that there are mechanisms to, to kind of reinforce and endorse what one is, is doing, but it starts with our own decision. Am I going to make time? Absolutely. So, you know, there's a lot of discussion around burnout and turnover in the ranks of the physicians. And, and as you can imagine, this the hematologist and oncologist dealing with children. It's a very stressful profession. In various areas of medicine, health systems have begun to place a greater emphasis yeah. on physician and medical staff well-being. So for many, this is the first time they're developing these well-being programs. So how do you advise them to get started? What are some of the fundamental things they should do at the outset? I think like when you want to drive change, and you want to, to really make a difference. Sometimes it's like you're preaching in the desert, right? And, and, and no one is coming. But if you do it long enough, probably some people might show up and adopt, right? The, the change and stuff and all of that. So my, my, my thinking is that I think to start is the key because I don't think there's any time to, to wait. And, and I, I think it's not about doing things perfect, but starting to build the muscle, start engaging people and... And it's about listening and learning and 
course correcting as you go. But I think what I always feel with these things, it's important to have sponsorship, seeing your sponsorship. I think it's about people that really are passionate about the topic. Sometimes you have a senior sponsor and you know that they don't really kind of own it, live it. So I think it's about using volunteers, right, that, that are passionate. And that was also one of the reasons why I'm talking, because one of, one of the people, you know, dear friends of mine reached out and said, you know, do you want to, you want to talk? So it's about really that passion, channeling that, and then trying to engage and, and creating that, that buy-in from people. And that is about change management. And that means leadership. That means drive. That means engagement. That means resilience and perseverance, right? And I think that, again, I think it's amazing that everyone is, 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 is into this mode here and that, that there is that care because, again, I, I can only imagine, you know, the jobs that people on the phones are having, they're taking so much out of them, but how can they, again, take care of others if they don't take care of themselves? So, so I think it's, it's sometimes that realization that I need to do self-care. I need to think of myself and then I can give so much more because life is, is not a sprint or a marathon, right? It's a journey and we need to fuel ourselves. I think people need to understand what, what fuels them because otherwise you just give and you don't reload and refresh yourself. And I think that's the key thing is that we all need to refresh ourselves, transform ourselves and be mindful about what is important for each of us. And that sometimes we forget, right? And I think I've been three decades working, so I've given a lot. And, and sometimes there were events in life that made me step back and rethink. And, and I think we should avoid these events in life to happen, right? We need to, we need to kind of try to, to, to think and be self-aware earlier on. So, so I would say it's starting a movement is what you do, right? When you do these things and then more people will join and, and you'll create a sense of not just inspiration, but a sense of energy where it becomes a movement that will go on its own and, and it becomes part of what we do, right? And, and I think that's what well-being is. It's, it's not about a program or whatever. It's our way of working. It's our way of living. It's being balanced and being our authentic self and being able to do that in whatever environment, right? Easier said than done. But I think it, it's important. So when you talk about the movement and you talk about keeping that message clear and not being episodic about it, but that it needs to be a really bigger initiative, is that how you then get buy-in? Is that how a physician leader might get buy-in from the rest of the team is to make sure that he or she is passionate about it, about leading this initiative, keeping the messaging going, keeping the enthusiasm are there other things that you would suggest in terms of buy-in? I think that what I see organizations do is they have regular stand-ups, right? And stand-ups means it's, it's, it's little huddles coming together. And that can be around certain topics. That can be sharing what's happening or whatever. But, you know, I think if there is a focus on well-being and, and, and there is a focus that a physician in their team want to focus on putting some, some goals together or putting some rituals together right that that everyone is going to to focus on and going to live by I think are are great ways to do so so I think sometimes it's about 
how as a team you behave and how you respect yourself and how you get to know each other and you know what's important for each other and how you give feedback. And I think it's by talking and spending time. And I'm a strong believer that sharing goals, right, and, and learning and growing as, as individuals in a team is a team sport. And, and that's not just about professionally growing, but that's also personally growing. And I think if, if a team can create an atmosphere where everyone feels safe, and can be their own and can test and learn and try things out and, and has the flexibility when needed and get the support as needed. That's when magic happens, right? But it's about the leader. And if I think if the leader is the only one that goes say, rah, rah, we need to do this, then it will not magically happen, right? I think it's about how we kind of all sense why this can be important for us and work on it as a team. When you do it as a team, I think you get the best results. And buying comes from when, when you, you move people with the heart, not with the head, right? I think it's about right. that empathy, which is important. So, so leading from the front and showing vulnerability is my sense, one of the best ways to, to create buy-in and, and show that it is a safe place, right? Um, yeah, the concept of psychological safety just seems so important in these programs. And you've mentioned that a couple times throughout the podcast. It's just a, a great takeaway, I think, for anyone listening. I have one final question because, yeah. and this more pertains to the head, but yeah. from a business standpoint, this has to help with turnover, satisfaction of people on the team, et cetera, I would think. Is that showing up in the data and in the outcomes of these programs? Absolutely. These days, people choose where they want to work. There's so much choice. They want to choose where they want to work for the type of leader, for the type of organization. And, and I think more and more, if you think about the future of work, what's important for our upcoming generations is this whole notion about going to an organization that has a sense of purpose. You know, it's not just about making money, but it's about doing something meaningful. I think it's, it's a key thing. The other thing is also being part of an organization where people have the flexibility, they can grow, they can be themselves, they can unlock their potential in an environment that, that might be very different. And, and we're working currently with our team and our business around the workplace of the future and how does that look like? And interesting enough, the workplace of the future is not about the physical workplace just or the technological one, but it's about the emotional and the purposeful. And, and what we're seeing from the research and everything and what people are telling us is that this sense of flexibility, this sense of, again, the environment they're working in, this whole notion of how can they make work work for them? And, and so by doing that and by giving people this sense of well-being and you know a flexibility you empower people you empower people to to drive their own and, and you do it in an environment that that supports them with leaders that grow them right so so i am a strong believer that that investing in people and caring about people not just to grow them professionally but personally and build resilience and help them through their lives in the most fulfilling way I think that's what, again, the goal is, right? If an organization makes that happen, because why would you go to a different organization where you don't have that flexibility, where you don't have all these pluses, right? Once you have it, you don't want to give it up. I definitely wouldn't want to give it up. So, so I think it does matter. And, 
And it is, it is an investment in people, but it's different of what we've known in the past. It's holistic investment in people, right? And, and I think that's a sustainable way forward. I think that's a great note to end on and very wise words, really appreciate all of your thoughts. I'm sure this is really going to help the physicians and particularly the medical staff leaders out there that are thinking about, you know, how do they help their physicians with burnout and all the many things that they're going through, especially now when things are, uh, tensions are high and everything's in short supply, including time and energy. So really appreciate your time today, Anouk. Again, this was Anouk Dubliek, um, who is serving as the Chief People Officer at SoftServe. Just lovely to have you. And thank you so much for all that you shared and all the great best practices. Really appreciate your time. And thanks for having me. And I wish um, everyone all the best on their journey. Hopefully no one forgets about themselves, right? Because we are the key to, to bringing this all to life. So thanks again for having me and have a great day. This has been another installment of ASPOcast, the road to clinician well-being. To get more information on the American Society of Pediatric Hematology Oncology, please visit www.aspo.org. In addition to this podcast series, the most recent webinar on physician wellness can be found on the website under the Knowledge Center tab.